All right, biohackers, who doesn't love a yummy, creamy whey protein shake? Oh, it is such a treat. And I really love it as a meal replacement, post-workout recovery, maybe even a midday snack. So this is why I have to tell you about Puri Protein Powder. I absolutely love the bourbon vanilla flavor and the chocolate, but I think I got to go with the, the vanilla as my favorite. So it's smooth, it's delicious. And you know what else? It's pretty awesome that the flavors come from real natural ingredients like the bourbon vanilla seeds from Madagascar. And let's talk about quality because there's a lot of junk whey protein on the market that I would not recommend. So the Puree whey protein, it comes from pasture-raised cow's milk with no hormones, no GMOs, and no pesticides. This is because Puree's mission has always been to be the best at offering pure, clean, and superior products that, that support health and well-being. And what I think truly sets them apart is that they are fully transparent with their product testing. Every batch is third-party tested against more than 200 contaminants and certified clean by the Clean Label Projects. Not all brands can say this. Plus, each product contains a QR code so you can personally scan it and review the test results at home. I know you're excited to try it out. So what you're going to do is head on over to puri.com slash biohackerbabes. That's P-U-O-R-I.com slash biohackerbabes. And then make sure you use promo code biohackerbabes at checkout to save 20%. All right, let's get back to the show. We're digging deep and asking the questions we need to ask. Years of stress and not just emotional. I was depleting my body. I was malnourished. I'm working out like crazy. I'm eating all these healthy foods. How could I not be well? We have to get back to the basics. We can change the way our genes are expressed. Anyone that wants to improve their health or upgrade their health, they should be biohacking. My name is Renee. And I'm Lauren. We are the Biohacker Babes. We're sisters and we're joining forces to empower you to become your own biohacker and upgrade your life. The Biohacker Babes podcast aims to create insight into the body's natural healing abilities, strengthen your intuition, and empower you with techniques and modalities to optimize your health and wellness. Because life is too short to not feel your best every single day. This podcast offers health, fitness, and nutritional information and is designed for educational purposes only. You should not rely on this information as a substitute for, nor does it replace professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. If you have any concerns or questions about your health, you should always consult with a physician or other healthcare professional. Thank you for joining us and welcome to the show. Hello and welcome to the Biohacker Babes podcast. I'm Renee and I'm here with my sister, Lauren. And today we have a good friend joining us, John Parker, all the way from San Diego. So we all met at Paleo Effects last year and just instantly connected because we all have so much in common. John is such an expert in his area, and we just wanted to share his wealth of knowledge with all of you. So before I bring John on, just a quick bio. So John Parker is a 12-year veteran in the health and fitness industry. As a certified strength and conditioning specialist, 
functional diagnostic nutrition practitioner, strong first and barbell instructor, and a check exercise and holistic lifestyle coach. John believes sustainable health and fitness are derived from a multifaceted approach. The baseline lifestyle habits of simplification, training, rest, and recovery, lifestyle optimization, functional nutrition, and grounding create sustainable habits to help clients achieve and maintain their goals. A graduate with a degree in history and Spanish literature from the University of California, San Diego, John has trained a wide variety of clients from student athletes to Moroccan royalty. His athletic career led him to run track and field at at University of California with a high affinity for strength and conditioning. He loves training with kettlebells and focuses on developing power, strength, and general conditioning in his clients. John loves the outdoors and is an avid hunter, mountain biker, mountaineer, snowboarder, and trail runner. Awesome. So help me welcome John to the show. All right, John Parker, welcome to the Biohacker Babes podcast. We are so happy to have you here. Sorry we didn't get you on here sooner, but here you are. What's going on? What are you doing in quarantine? Tell us about your life. Yeah, well, thank you guys so much for having me. I'm I'm really excited to record this podcast with you. For me, nothing really has changed in my life. Uh, it's still the same day-to-day stuff. Um, I am happy that things are open back up here in San Diego. The beaches were closed and parts of them still are, but I think all of us are happy to be able to get back in the sand and also onto the trails for some hiking. Uh, but other than that, training clients, uh, doing my own fitness, working on my online work and doing a little bit of hunting right now, which has been a lot of fun. Coast is not experiencing that much of a change. I don't know if that's because you guys are more connected to nature than the East Coast, but I'm on the East Coast and my life has turned upside down and all of my clients, same thing, friends. It's like a different world over here. So I'm happy that you are still in the flow. Yeah. And that's nice. Your hiking trails are opening up. I'm waiting any day now for that to happen here in Vegas. Well, I will say with the hiking trails, I never stopped hiking, but I definitely had to get creative and go a little bit further out to trails that people don't typically go to. So the problem was, I mean, they were open for a good amount of time when lockdown started, but people were doing the congregating thing. They were parking on the highways and I think it was just a safety hazard. Like a lot of our hikes, they're located off of highways. So you have these throngs of people And it gets a little bit difficult because first of all, there's going to be more traffic, people playing music, getting together. And on top of that, a lot of the trails, if someone's not in good shape and it gets too hot, there is a threat, either rattlesnakes or dehydration. And when it gets to the point where someone has to be rescued by life flight, then they start regulating these things much more. So I think they just saw the people getting together on these popular hikes and shut them down ASAP when lockdown started. Oh, such a bummer. It was a bummer. Just exercise caution and keep a low profile. Be all right. (laughs) That's it. Wear some camouflage. That's what I do. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. All right. So a little bit of backstory. We met John at Paleo FX, our favorite conference that we go to. It's basically our our family vacation that we go to every year. And (laughs) John has like a lot of the same education that I have. He's a Czechie. He's an FDNer. And he really specializes in kettlebells, which I'm excited for you to talk about. But he's a strength and conditioning coach. He does a lot of one-on-one. John, you fill in the blanks. Tell us your story. Tell us where you started, how you got into this, what's your motivation. I'll let you kick it off wherever you want to start. Yeah. So it was funny that we met at Paleo FX. Um, I was working with FDN um, at the time at the booth and then saw that you were an FDN also, Lauren. And that was just kind of funny. And then we realized that we had the, the same Czech background and 
kind of the same holistic approach to, to health and wellness. So uh, in the beginning of my career, it was 2008, 2009, and I had been working at the front desk of a good gym here in San Diego with the goals of becoming a personal trainer. And the manager at the time encouraged me to check out the Czech Institute um, just because he said, man, you really love to get into details about this. You should go check this out. So I said, okay. I graduated college from the University of California, San Diego. And during my last semester, I was studying for my CSCS. And at the same time, I went to the Czech Institute for my holistic lifestyle coach certification. So from the very beginning of my career, I have known that... Yes, strength work, personal training, exercise is so important, but it's just one piece of the puzzle. And it's always been interesting to me because it's very easy to sell exercise as a product, so to speak, as a personal trainer, but whether they like it or not, my clients are getting the full spectrum of, hey, this is how we're structuring nutrition. If you're not getting sleep, you're not training hard today. We have to look at your stress. We have to measure all of this stuff. So it's always been interesting to me. Uh, really, I'll tell a client what they want to hear, but I try and give them what they need. And everything is built off of that holistic approach since 2009 when I got that holistic lifestyle coach certification. Fast forward to today, I'm a functional diagnostic nutrition practitioner and proud to be a health coach. And sometimes we'll use lab testing with my clients, but realizing it's not even about the lab testing. It's really about the work that you put into it. It's about the lifestyle. It's about staying super consistent. And that's a challenge for a lot of people at least when they come into me, it's like, okay, I'm seeing John three times a week. That's three hours of exercise per week. And I'm good. Yes, you're good. But there are a lot of other days in the week. And there's a lot of other time where you may or may not be making good decisions. And I think that needs to be held to a higher standard. And I know you guys think similarly. So that's kind of where I am right now and really trying to nail home the idea like, look at the body is a holistic system. It's not one piece. It's everything. And that requires constant upkeep. You can't just do it once and call it good. You got to do it every single day. Yeah. That's one of the biggest challenges for trainers is the compliancy. So how do you bridge that gap? Obviously you're using the right language because you have this check background, which I'm really surprised that more people don't know about because I've known about him for over a decade. It seems to be out in the public, but there's so many people that have never heard of him, never heard of this idea. I, I'm I'm shocked. I'm almost excited because it's like our little secret, but I, I want more people <laughs> to know about it. It feels like a secret society. When I meet someone that's a Czech practitioner, I'm like, oh my gosh, right? It's kind of funny because I feel like we all started the same time. Lauren, didn't we do that same program in 2009 or 2008? You have a better memory than I do. Pretty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I, for anyone out there that wants to dive deeper into it, I think everyone would benefit from the holistic lifestyle coach level one program. Right. Yeah. Just to like help yourself and maybe your family. I think it's a great starter. Well, it's so funny to me, um, looking back at Paul check certain ideas when I was younger, they were so over my head. Paul has been talking about this holistic and functional wellness for 20, 30 years, way before people were talking about this. He was talking about uh, putting butter in your coffee like 20 years ago, all this stuff was over my head. And I was like, Oh, Paul's kind of crazy. And more often than not, it's come back to the point where I've thought to myself, wow, Paul knew what he was talking about. And it took me a while to realize that. So 
Yeah, Paul is an OG. I have a lot of respect for that guy. And I will tell you, I've drawn so much inspiration from him because he would be kind of comical in some of his videos and he would rip his shirt off and say, I'm 50 years old or whatever. And this guy's just totally jacked, ton of muscle mass. Can deadlift 500 pounds. He's like 55 years old right now. And that left such a huge impression on me um, about walking the walk. And ever since I saw Paul do that, I just knew if I'm not walking the walk, people should not be following me. I need to do what I instruct other people to do, or it's all for naught. It's, it's just fancy marketing if you're not actually doing the work. So uh, he's been my inspiration um, from day one and still have a ton of respect for this guy. Try and listen to everything he says, because like my example, I found out that he was right all along and it just took me a while to learn. Now I'm like really paying attention to his message. That's like some of the weird stuff my dad was doing 20 years ago. We made fun of him, but now we're like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, he knew what <laughs> nice. he was doing. And yeah. John, I have to say kudos to you. You really do walk the talk. Like you do everything that you always talk about on Instagram. So I think that's so amazing. And I have to say at Paleo Effects last year, before I actually met you, I'm very aware of who's at conferences. I'm like looking like who looks fit, who looks healthy. You know, I think that is a big piece of it. You know, how you kind of come off as, you know, do you really look healthy? And you actually stood out to me. I was like, that guy knows what he's doing. I could tell. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. Well, I love it. Um, I think that's what separates people um, in this industry is like who actually loves it, who actually lives it. And it's not just about making money. It's like, hey, I'm going to do this stuff first. And I realize if I can teach you what I do, sometimes I just want to teach people exactly what I do because a lot of these ideas, they get lost in the nuance of things. Um, You hear so many functional docs and whoever else is in uh, this industry and in the functional health. And we all talk about these things. We talk about getting good sleep and and sun exposure and proper movement. And that's great. People need to know this stuff. But I think nailing down concrete examples really helps people. Granted, everyone's program needs to be unique to that individual um, through whatever means you use to achieve that. But I think sometimes it's just those little details that can inspire people to say, oh, I can do that. I can do that three times a day. Like I can go hang from a bar or do five pull-ups three times a day. Just these little things I found to be so complementary to the goal of holistic wellness. And uh, that's what I try and deliver for people. Just that nuance that they may not understand that's going to get them over that hump. So is it the homework that you give your clients or the language that you use? Like what is filling in all of those other hours of the week or their day when they're not with you. So it, yeah, I think that's the the million dollar question. And again, we, we know every person is unique, um, with certain things that, okay, if someone's eating a whole foods, um, based diet, like they're probably going to be healthier. If they're doing some strength training or some aerobic work, they're probably going to be healthier, but just having trained so many people and trained so many people in group classes, we have these ideas that we think are going to work, but when the pen meets the paper, it's like, well, people will do this. They won't do that. So with that said, I try and make things as simple as possible. And really my philosophy this year that I'm working on is just the nuance behind that simplicity. So I really fell in love with minimalism just based on, you know, some readings that I did, um, Buddhism and, you know, some other authors. It, it really inspired me because I think 
if I feel this way, I know other people feel this way. It's so easy to be overstimulated in today's world. And that was me. I mean, when I was younger, I would get anxiety and stress planning my workout for the day. And it's like, John, that's so silly. Like you have the ability to do whatever you want. Why are you stressed about what you're going to do? So I'll just use the kettlebells as an example. I'm sitting in my home gym, which is also my living room, and it is very minimal. I have a good amount of kettlebells that allow me to do whatever type of exercise that I want. But some previous problems that I was having was I'm a strong guy and I would overload myself way too much to the point of it being uh, unhealthy. Like with a barbell, let's take a barbell back squat as an example. So putting 400 pounds on my back, now I have the ability to maybe put 180, 190 pounds in the rack when I do squats. So it took away the option, but the other option was hurting me. So I simplified it and now I have the best of both worlds. Now, bringing that to a client, I have to look at this person. Okay, I have clients who are in great shape, but they still don't remember the names of exercises after five or six years of training them. That's okay. They want me there. They want me to hold their hands and lead them through a workout. So am I going to give that client much homework? Probably not because I don't think they're going to do it or they may be constrained by time. But sometimes I'll get a client in who already has a really deep exercise of knowledge and they hire me to optimize their whole program, whatever it is. That's the person I can give a lot of homework to. Like, hey, did you check your HRV? Hey, are you drinking enough water? Oh, you said that you were feeling weak in today's session. Did you have that like collagen shake before we train like we talked about? So little check-ins like that. And I usually explain to clients, hey, the more you give me, the more I'm going to give you. So the job, I don't like it to be this way. It can be very transactional, or you can develop a deeper relationship where you can get into this stuff with people and really start to coach them. But both people have to want it. And it's okay if someone doesn't want it because we do know the actual exercise is helping them out. But if I can start to sprinkle in drinking a little bit more water, getting away from the processed food, it's a win on all sides. But I'm also very realistic that that's not always a, a client's priority. So I try and accommodate as needed. Yeah, totally. Makes sense. Yeah, you're really meeting the client where they're at, which I think is so important because otherwise you maybe would scare them away, right? If you just like dump all this stuff on them. And that's what happens because I, I believe it was Tim Ferriss who would always say that the perfect program that you don't follow isn't as good as the imperfect program that you follow. And I had to think about that for years. And I'm like, okay, well, he is totally right. If yeah. I can get someone doing two workouts a week, maybe even the same workout per week, let's say if they do this for a month and they're like, okay, I'm getting some muscle, like I'm feeling a little bit better. Then I say, hey, can you just add a 20 minute walk in with your shirt off every day? And then it's like, man, if they do that, then we have two big wins. So when you get someone accelerated into a program and they're feeling really good and feeling really happy, that's when you can assign them more tasks because they've already seen like the fruits of their labor. But if you dump something on someone in the beginning, like a, a long protocol, my success rate has been very low with doing that. So I try not to do that. Yeah, that makes sense. And there's also just breaking down of old habits. It takes so long to break them down, even longer to build up new habits. So good luck. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. I found as a trainer that it's almost harder to make people do less. And I love this idea of minimalism. And I want to hear more about how you do that with kettlebells with your clients. Because yeah. I find it... I, and I thought this was like a New York East coast thing for so long, but then I, I lived on the West coast for a bit and trained with LA clients. And it's the same thing over there. Like people 
just want to do more, 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 more. Because they think that they're if they're showing up and checking off this long list that they're going to be successful. So how do you scale them back? How do you really like, what is your elevator speech to convince people that they can do less? So I, I love that question because my approach has changed so much over the years about an elevator speech. And I'm just going to come out and say it. I don't ask people to train with me. In fact, I try and give them as many like free videos and resources as possible so they won't train with me. And if they actually do this stuff and they keep coming back and they're like, no, I want more, I want more, then I will train them and take their money. Um, but I, I try not to. I try and only take on the clients who I know are going to be successful. And that's not like a genetic thing or it's not like a skill thing. It's uh, a try thing. And I think so many times we give up and we create excuses. I only know because I've done the same thing. But it, it takes a lot. It takes a lot of effort. So with the minimalism stuff, now, if you're doing strength training properly, you don't need a ton of volume. Here's the hard sell for people, getting them to lift heavy weights. People are afraid of it. We've heard from ladies, I don't want to get bulky. We've heard from guys, well, they do want to get bulky, but <laughs> they're not eating enough or whatever other problem. So I explained in the very beginning, look at I'm a strength coach. And if you're hiring me, I am going to make you stronger. And the way that we get stronger is progressive overload. So making you lift heavier weights. And I've gotten a little bit better about self-correcting exercises. I'm not a huge fan of doing a ton of correctives with people because I've found over the years that really you're babying people to an extent that they get used to having their hand held and you never really teach them what they need to know in order to do this on themselves. And if they don't want to do that, that's okay. So how I approach this is teaching the basics first. And now I'm really patient. I used to kind of rush people, but we might do the same two workouts for four to eight weeks, depending on the client. And I'll ask them if they're getting bored. And if they say no, I'm like, good. And if they say yes, I say, okay, you need to lift heavier weights. So it's really on them. And the fact that lifting heavier kettlebells and so many of these exercises actually force you to do the exercise correctly or you won't be able to do it. I like people to be so surprised at, oh man, like I sucked. I couldn't do one pull-up in the beginning. And John had me do pull-ups every single training session. And you get someone up to 10 pull-ups like pretty easily. And it's such an empowering feeling that if you get someone to 10 pull-ups or to their goal, they're going to want to train with you forever. They'll be a client for life. And that sparks so much joy in me that like, it's a win on all sides. I'm sorry. I don't think I answered the question. I think I forgot. I was just rambling. No, no, no. You're getting to it. It's great. <laughs> so as there. Yeah. So the simplicity, I got into kettlebells because I wanted something that wasn't going to beat up my body like barbells had. I've been lifting now for 22 years. So it's the one activity I've done for the longest. And, you know, training to a triple body weight deadlift, which I got, I think in 2017, uh, it was fun, but it destroyed my body. And when I started doing the FDN stuff, found out just really severe HPA axis dysfunction. Thank goodness my lifestyle was in order, but basically no cortisol left in my body. It was just, you know, complete flatline. That was bad. 
And it took me about two years to get out of that. Now, general recommendations for HPA axis dysfunction that you'll see online is, oh, gentle exercise, yoga, Pilates, all this stuff. And, you know, maybe, but we know scientifically that strength training is so good for the body. It's good for healthy bones, healthy muscle tissue, um, uh, making sure that you don't lose power as you age. Like, we know it's really good for you. So I thought to myself, okay, what could I do with kettlebells, which are my love, with minimum effective dose training? And another concept I, I really learned about from Tim Ferriss, and I just thought that was so brilliant. So it's like, what's the minimum that I can do to, to gain the maximum advantage? And I've been experimenting this for about two years, and that doesn't mean I'm not lifting super heavy weights. I love lifting heavy weights but I'm not doing 10 reps. I might be doing one rep, two rep, three reps. Okay. So this works really well for me because I'm very trained. It may not work well for a beginner because they need to put in so many repetitions in order to just get those neuromuscular connections in the body in order to be strong in the first place. So a workout for me, my workouts at home take about 20 minutes. That's it. I do five rounds, usually of two exercises throw in some accessory work if needed. But here's the kicker. I've been training for 22 years. I'm, I'm very strong for my size and I lift very, very heavy with impeccable technique. So 20 minute workout, that's not too stressful on my body. My HRV will come back pretty strong the next day and my energy is good. But I will tone it down if I feel like my energy starts to slump in the afternoon or I'm super sore the next day or the day following. So you, you can't just have one program that you're going to do for your life. This is just, I, I always say fitness is like bathing and only works if you do it every day, right? You can't just take one shower and, and not stink the rest of your life. Like you're always going to be readjusting your protocol, whether it's supplements, nutrition, you know, eating seasonally, fitness, like you have to put a lot of consideration into this stuff. It doesn't have to be hard. You can keep it simple. And that's what I'm trying to teach people. So most of your strength training at home, it is kettlebells. You're not doing barbells? Uh, no, okay. I, no, I did uh, back squats for the first time, I think in 2020 last night. And I, I like to make a point with that. So when you're doing general physical preparedness, right? GPP, you guys have heard of GPP. And that was, that's basically the opposite of um, like SPP, specific, oh, I'm sorry, SSP, specific sport practice. So this general stuff, you have your hinge, your squat, your push, your pull, nothing fancy, just doing good work. When you're doing these things properly and loading properly with a good tempo that works for you and not neglecting power work um, or strength work or hypertrophy work, like you have a carryover into any activity that you want to do. And I don't think a lot of people realize this about strength training, but it is one of the safest ways that you can exercise, like as far as injury uh, injuries go. Now, if you're good at strength training, it's basically going to make any activity that you do better, okay? So for instance, last night I was doing heavy back squats. Um, I was probably loading like close to two times body weight. And is that going to help my, my cycling? you'd be like, oh, well, the motions are totally different, but it's like, well, but what if I need a big push on the mountain bike up a big hill and my body is capable of this force production from both legs? Yes, the movement is totally different, but I'm still involving hip extension, 
uh, hip flexion, knee extension, all of these things. Yes, the back squat will make me a better cycler. And we have evidence of this from Olympic athletes like these athletes and football players and every other professional athlete has been doing strength training for a long time. And I'm not talking anything fancy. I'm talking back squats, bench press, pull-ups, deadlifts, and the variations from there. So yes, I train probably 90% with kettlebells and I always fill the rest in with sports that I like or activities like hiking, cycling, skateboarding, or slacklining or whatever else is available. Nice. Did you play sports as a kid or like high school? I did. Um, my entire life was sports. So going into this career, it was really nothing new to me. Growing up, I, I rode BMX. I was a BMX racer. At the same time, I played everything from basketball, water polo, uh, football, basketball, and track and field. In high school, I, I kind of eliminated the others and just did track and field and football and got early acceptance to uh, UCSD for running track and field. And I was a sprinter, 100 meter and long jumper. So that's part of the reason I've been lifting weights for 22 years now uh, for football and track and field. That's great. Yeah, you have a great background in that. Um, I mean, I'm always learning from both of you, Lauren and John, because with 25 years of ballet, I was never allowed to lift weights. Mm -hmm. So I got to college and like my friends were lifting weights. I'm like, what is this about? How do you do this? How do you do do it? Why do you do it? (laughs) Yeah, I'm still trying to learn more and perfect it. So this is great information. So uh, I will say I have so much respect for the movement art of, of dancing, like whatever discipline it is. To me, it's so foreign to me because I'm just one of those people who's naturally very stiff and springy. However, I have been to... Let's see. I went to the Nutcracker. This was like maybe five yeah. years ago up in, uh, <laughs> yeah. I was in, I think I was in uh, British Columbia when I saw it. And I remember seeing like one of the, the main male dancers, uh, a ballerino, I believe it's called. And this guy was wearing white tights and yeah. his ass and his quads were so gigantic. I was <laughs> like, oh my God, this guy is so jacked. And you look at, at dancers, I made an Instagram post about this today, but talking about glute training, and that's like the hot topic in fitness, like everything about the butt. And you look at most dancers and they have really, really nice gluteal muscles. And a lot of it's the constant squats, it's the mobility work, it's the jumps. So sometimes you don't need to lift weights. I think it is good to have them in your practice. Like it doesn't have to be all the time. Maybe twice a week is fine. Just a a short program, but it's fine to fill in the gaps and do other activities. I just want everyone to know, like the one good thing about strength training is it's totally balanced. If you have a good program, you're balancing your whole body with pushes and pulls where a sport, I keep talking about my mountain biking love, like mountain biking is great, but let's be, let's be real. It's not really working my upper body like it is my, my lower body. So I'm always thinking of balance and that's really just having seen so many people with, you know, postural abnormalities or muscle imbalances. Everyone has these, no one is perfect, but that's what I'm kind of looking for when I see a client is, are they symmetrical? Can we make them more symmetrical? And that's going to help with pain relief, especially uh, in the joints and having really even muscle mass for the aesthetic look, but also 
having muscle mass is good. We know that for things like glucose disposal. So yeah. Balance um, is key. So John, this, you may find this interesting. I don't know how this happened to me as a dancer, but my glutes were actually really weak uh and my quads were really strong. Yeah. And then two stress fractures in my SI joint, like, because the imbalance, but at the time, no one was talking about that. So yeah, that's the thing about dancing. There's just a huge imbalance with the overtraining. Sure, if it's mm. done properly and you have the right muscles firing, you're going to have beautiful glutes, but there's so much overtraining. And I wish I could just tell my clients, like, just go dance because it can be difficult to create a well-rounded program that just works through every plane of motion that is getting the, the proper dosage. Dancing really does it. It's just, what is the balance there? That's a yeah. good point. Yeah, no, that that's totally right. Just to touch on that point, and then I want to talk about the imbalance, Renee. Um, you do see that with so many sports. I, I currently train. Um, he used to be a professional dancer. He no longer is. He's more of an enthusiast and still goes to the studio and stuff. And uh, it's it's really crazy. Um, he, he has told me about the overtraining. We know this from many, many sports. And you know, like growing up as a football player, I would hear all the other football players think that dancing was like a sissy sport. And I'd be like, Hey dude, don't say that. Like you don't know what they go through. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So Hey, respect from my side. I I definitely admire it. (laughs) But this individual who's my client, he is someone who is hypermobile. And if you don't know what hypermobile is, it means that your joints there, they very easily go through a full range of motion as opposed to someone like myself, who's a little bit tighter takes a little bit longer to warm up. Now, it's always very interesting to me because you'll have clients like this who are hypermobile. Most of the time it's females, but sometimes it's men as well. And it it's not always like this, but a lot of times these people feel like they're very tight. But you do like a passive range of motion test and it's like, "Oh man, you're you're way too loose. I will not let you stretch during my sessions. We're only doing strength and stability work." So it, my point being, it's really funny how the mind kind of plays tricks on us. Like, oh, it feels tight. My hamstrings are tight. It's like, bro, we just tested your hamstrings. They're way too loose. You need some strength work. You need some lower ab work, some glute work. It's funny how the, the mind plays these tricks. And the fact that, Renee, you were quad dominant, and maybe you should have been in your glutes a little bit more to protect the pelvis. Someone like me is completely the opposite after running track and field. I'm so glute dominant that I have to be really careful to get into my quads. So again, I've never seen a perfect specimen that's totally balanced. It just doesn't happen. Like even the way that you're sitting or listening to this recording right now, like check, are you balanced? Are you squared up? And sure. Yeah. We all, we all just did a posture check. I know I'm not. I feel like my, my right back feels a little bit tight. My right hip flexor feels a little bit tight. So I'll, I'll roll out later. I'll, I'll do some foam rolling. I'll do some stretching. And I know my right side is way tighter. So I might hold that right side stretch for 30 seconds longer than my left. And this is a way about um, bringing balance back to the body, but it is kind of a labor of love because you will revert back to poor patterns if you're not practicing them. You have to put in a lot of time in order for your body to remember, okay, this is my new normal. Otherwise, it'll always go back to the way that it it feels good. Does that make sense? Yeah. So is there like an at-home test people could do to check on themselves or is this something they really have to work with someone like you guys? Um, um, I think uh, Lauren, and, Lauren and I probably use a lot of the same tests as far as like giving a client an assessment. 
Um, you could definitely do these tests at home. You would just have to set up like certain benches and, you know, certain distances to the wall or like a plumb line or something. But I think a coach can probably do it better because they're used to looking for like imbalances in the spine or the ASIS or PSIS. Um, but yeah, I've had clients do their own assessments, um, or just over zoom, like, especially during lockdown, you can do things like passive hamstring length tests, Thomas tests, or you could just do none of this and just tell your client, Hey, I want to see you crawl from this end of the room to the other end of the room. Or I want to see you do an overhead squat. I want to see you do a Turkish getup. And it's really funny. You can save a lot of time that way, but it does require a lot of experience. Once you've seen enough people move, you can tell pretty much immediately what's wrong with the next person. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, the mobility stuff is easier to do virtually, but if you're going to do like a static plumb line test, it's a little bit harder. You definitely need an outside perspective and have someone else looking at you. I mean, how many clients have you worked with where you're like, oh, your head is just not sitting straight on the top of your spine. They're like, what do you mean? I'm like, I'm straight. I feel balanced. You're like, ah, you're, you look crazy. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, Yeah, that's pretty much every client. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Well, I always appreciate it. Like when I'm out and about with Lauren, we'll be walking down the street and she's like, Do you see the person walking in front of us? They have this, 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 and this. I'm like, how did you see that so fast? Oh, it's such a burden. I can't go anywhere. I'm just like, <laughs> I am drawn to it. I see it everywhere. And I just, I either want to go up to them and fix them or I just like take on their pain. I'm like, Oh, God, <laughs> they're hurting themselves. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I mean, certain things like an interior pelvic tilt, you can tell that right away. I mean, that's a classic giveaway. Someone's ass kind of sticking out in the wrong, kind of the wrong way, kind of like this Instagram girl booty type way where their back is really arched and you may see their lower abdomen slightly distended. It kind of looks like they're bloated, but really it's because their pelvis is tipped downward so much. Like they're unaware that they have this pattern. I know this because I have a pretty significant interior pelvic tilt, uh, just a product of running my whole life. Um, so what I'll do for myself is definitely release the psoas and rectus femoris, stretch out the rec fem with a couch stretch, keep my hamstring super strong, keep the low ab super strong. And on top of that, always work on my transversus abdominis just to make sure everything is kind of coming from that inner core that's going to make sure my back's not going to hurt later on in the day and pretty much everything else. So the body is holistic as we've been talking about. So if you have a left ankle injury and then you have a right shoulder injury, it's like, Hey, we got to correlate those two things because they can be very related. Yeah. So for people like you and me that are obsessed with symmetry and really passionate about fixing ourselves, that's easy to check in. Like I'm sitting here, like you said, where I'm like very aware of where everything is lined up in space. But for people that don't have that awareness, do you find that it really takes like a significant injury or a pain? Like what is that entry point that you get with clients to connect those dots? Yeah. Uh, amazing question. I, I think, I think pain is a really good motivator for people. I think also just inspiration is a really good motivator and I'll kind of tell you some of my own inspiration. Um, so I'm pretty firm in my beliefs about strength training, not dogmatic though. It doesn't really matter what tool you use. It just matters that, you know, you're, you're having that proper loading and, uh, working on mobility and all those great things. But, uh, once Edo Portal got pretty popular, maybe five or six years ago, I'm privy to know a lot of his students and have trained with a lot of his students. And 
the way that they look at movement versus standard exercise or yoga or whatever is popular or cycling, whatever it is, it's, it's really interesting. And the fact that so many of his students can do these movements, whether it, it just be something simple, like a simple mobility drill, like a teacup drill or spinal waves. And then when I tried these things, I was like, oh my gosh, I cannot do this. I'm embarrassed to do it right now. Went home, practiced for a week, and then I joined the group workout again. They're like, oh, you got better. I'm like, yeah, I practiced. So we also talked about meeting the client where they're at. Um, I'll just give you an example. One of my clients um, here in La Jolla, she is a radiologist, probably 35 years in the industry, a really, really good doctor. And her right shoulder and her neck are just frozen. Same with a lot of us from being on the phone, from using a mouse, all this stuff, those right scalenes, the right traps, the right lat, the pecs, all this stuff. So from doing 30 plus years of dentistry. Oh, exactly. Yeah. We spoke about that for sure. So, or uh, the example that Paul Check would always use, you got to think of someone who's like a a grocery store cashier, always swiping products Mm -hmm. from one side. Yes, they're going to develop some problems if they don't address that. But back to my radiologist client, getting someone who's never lifted weights into lifting weights like I like to train people, that's not going to happen. However, I showed her some videos. I'm like, hey, I think these would be really helpful for your mobility of me doing Indian clubs. And I got her a set of one pound Indian clubs started with the most basic exercise, just pendulums back and forth. Finally got her going overhead. We actually did some, I looked up some vocal warmups about how to kind of release like the scalenes and, and warm up your voice. That's what we did during training. And then started to integrate, you know, some TRX work, doing some rows, strengthening the rotator cuff. But with a client like that, I'm not going to get them straight into, here's your program. This is what we're doing. I'm like, okay, this person's never lifted. She's a woman. I'm a man. Like, I think she's going to want to do this. Like, she's going to want to be more create creative in this case. Uh, she's going to want to do something that she's never seen before, like Indian clubs. And people are fascinated by it. So get her interested And then guess what? Compliance goes way up. And eventually we started doing like a standard strength and conditioning style of of training for her and for her posture. And she loved it. But my approach was to get her interested in whatever I could at first. That's a very cool perspective. Yeah. I love it. Thanks. So John, you, you keep mentioning like a lot of the holistic lifestyle components. I would love to hear like a typical day for you. Like how do you incorporate, you know, drinking more water or getting sunshine? Like what's a mm-hmm. typical day for you? Yeah, it's, it's super fun. I, I try and make everything kind of a game. And especially if I don't want to do something, I'll make it a game. So I actually start to enjoy it. Um, I'll just give you a quick rundown. I wake up pretty early. I've always woken up early. I wake up around five, usually before maybe like 4.30 on most days. And I'll wake up Pretty slowly, I'll do my morning routine, you know, the brushing of the teeth. Actually, first thing I do is I, I get up and I get a bunch of fresh water and I swish it around in my mouth for about a minute. I learned this from Paul Check. Basically, from breathing through your mouth all night, you are accumulating a lot of bacteria in your mouth. So I flush it out completely. After that, I will uh, brush my teeth and then I head out to the kitchen and I have probably one liter of water right when I wake up. So 
I know a lot of people have an issue uh, drinking enough water per day. I typically tell people drink one whole liter right in the morning. So you've already taken care of about one fourth of your water requirements. I put some fresh lemon in there or lime or whatever I want. And I usually put a bunch of Redmond sea salts. Uh, we just know we lose so much water as we sleep. So I try and get hydrated ASAP. While I'm drinking my water, I typically start brewing some hot water for some dandelion root tea. And I drink that almost every morning for general liver support. Uh, right after that, I'll probably sit in my chair and I take my HRV uh, every morning at the same time just to see what's going on. Typically, it's pretty standard. It doesn't deviate too much. And then I do reading. I read every morning. I just know that I do best when it's totally silent and I have no notifications. So I typically will read about a chapter of whatever book I'm into at the time. Currently, I'm learning about wild game and butchering and stuff. So fun, fun. And right after that, I write in my journal. Um, whether it's like a gratitude thing or maybe it's just a checklist for the day or an idea I'm thinking about for an Instagram post, I structure my day and I think about it like this. I want to give myself as many advantages as possible. And sometimes that means doing something inconvenient that's going to serve you later. I just know how my brain works. I know like how many notifications and how much stimulus there is nowadays. So if I write down, you know, five to seven things that I need to accomplish or, you know, just a checklist, I typically get those done. And after that, I actually have been really liking starting my work early because I've always been a morning person. I write almost every single day and that is my art. And typically Instagram um, is the, the messenger for my writing. I love to write and I, I love to do the training videos or the philosophy or, or whatever else is on my mind. So I kind of prepare that for the day. And I either start clients early in the morning or I have a little bit more free time to myself to, you know, record a podcast with you beautiful ladies or get some other work done like a blog post for someone else. And usually if I do my work, like I get everything done by like eight or eight thirty in the morning. And by that point, I'll train myself. Yeah, it's really early. I'll train myself. Amazing. <laughs> and then the rest of the day is just follow up. Like the emails that I sent in the morning, I am not someone to put things off. I like to get them done and have free time. And just to follow up on the rest of the stuff, I started giving myself vitamin D homework probably in like 2013. So I'm a California boy. And in the summertime, I was only ever wearing board shorts. Sunny today, I will be in the sun for probably. 30 minutes in as little clothing as possible because it makes me feel awesome hormonally and I sleep way better when I get sun. I'm trying to think if you had any other questions on that. Oh, routine. So train, film some, some of my videos. I usually have breakfast right after training. I'm a big fan of having breakfast. Typically, I fast for 12 hours a day, sometimes for convenience that's extended to 14. But if I'm hungry, I eat. I don't stick to a schedule like that. But I do it kind of uniquely. I eat two meals a day and I try and space them out maybe six to seven hours, maybe eight hours. So I have a, a shorter eating window. So I am getting those fasting benefits. But here's the hard part. And I've noticed this with so many people. For me, I have to eat around 3,000 to 3,300, 3,400 calories a day to maintain weight. And that means in two meals, you got to fulfill all of those calories. 
I've seen so many clients uh, do intermittent fasting and it's great, but the problem is they don't eat enough food, especially protein. And I can tell like in one week, they're like, I feel great. Like I'm losing weight. I'm like, you lost a lot of muscle mass. I can tell from your arms, they're super skinny. And it's like, don't yeah, negate. To see how you feel in a month from now. Yes. And I only know that because when everyone was talking about fasting, I did a 16-8 for a month in the first week or two. I was like, I feel great. I feel amazing. And the third week, I was like, oh man, I feel tired. Like I need to sleep more. And then I was like, no. Uh, I need to eat more. And as soon as I started eating more and dropping the fasting window, my energy came back. I mean, better hormones. Just we got to be careful with this stuff. Like, yes, it's popular. Yes, it's good. But you need to have some sort of tracking mechanisms. Otherwise, like you could be doing more harm than good. I'm curious, how much protein do you have in a typical day? You know, I've done everything from like a carnivore to a carnivore-ish diet. I will tell you. I'm pretty careful with protein. I not I try not to go over my body weight in grams per day. So I'm about 170. I think I rarely hit that 170. I think my sweet spot's anywhere between like 140 and 150 grams of protein per day. I found like carnivore wise, like bloating, I it, it definitely went away, which felt really good. I've had IBS my whole life. And part of the reason I got into the holistic world was to fix my own gut and bloating. And I, I did find myself craving green vegetables, namely kale when I was on strict carnivore. And if you know your body well enough, if you trust yourself and your body wants something like, you know, when people need chocolate, it's like, okay, they need magnesium or, you know, a pregnant woman is, is craving a food. It's like, yo, go get that food. She needs it. I listened to my body and I reintroduced some safe vegetables. And so now I probably eat one pound per day. I eat the whole pound at dinner time. And for breakfast, about six, um, four whole eggs, two egg yolks. And I'll have some veggies at each meal, but not too many. Too much fiber messes me up. And I do kind of like a, a hybrid vertical diet. I feel way better on carbs. And I I just do. I feel better if I eat starchy carbohydrates. So I load up a lot of my calories with white rice. And you know, I would love to say I eat a bunch of sweet potatoes and, and potatoes, but they just don't do as well for me. White rice seems to be just that really happy medium that digests really, really well and doesn't have much nutrition besides calories and has no fiber. But hey, fiber's good, but not for everybody. So that's kind of like my basis. Yeah, everyone's different and you found what works for you. It's great. Yeah. And it's a lot of experimentation. So <laughs> You know, for people, if it works for you, hey, stick with it. But I do want people to know what that means because I, I think it can be a bit nebulous to certain people. It's like, hey, this works for me. I'm like, well, it might be working for you, but you're skinny fat. It does, you're like, your skin health doesn't look very good. Like, I think you can do better. So when something is working for someone, I would say that gives them uh, really like, a good sleep at night, I would say that gives them abundant energy. I always look for someone's skin health, right? Like, oh man, their face looks really oxidized. Like that's not good. That's probably nutritional or like some environmental toxins. Um, you can tell by like looking at someone's eyeballs, like, are they clear? Like, do they look like they have a lot of life and vitality? You can just tell these things about someone. So I'm not afraid of vegetables. Yes, I try and stay away from, you know, 
like phytates and certain things that I just know aren't, aren't going to do super well with me. But I think people need to first base it off of how good is their digestion. Uh, we all know how good your bowel movements are is a huge indicator of your health. So if you're not having good poops, you need to readdress that. Um, I think protein is super important. I think animal protein is very, very important to health. And I'm not going to cite any studies because we know how this goes. It goes back and forth all the time. But you don't have to eat a lot of animal protein. I think even someone on a vegan diet, like that's not a junk food diet, who's eating meat twice a week, that's really good. And eating eggs is really, really good. Like we... <laughs> All of my myself, my family, my friends, we all say, yeah, eggs make us feel really, really good. So I would go off of digestion. I would go off of your muscle mass, your energy, your mood, and your resiliency. Some people get sick all the time. Others, nah, I would rather be the latter and never get sick. So if you are catching colds all the time, obviously check your environment. Like, are you washing your hands? Are you around sick people? Are you drinking too much? But I don't think that we have to choose that first path. I think we can be healthy all the time. And that really begins with nutrition. I think that's the most important aspect of everything that we're talking about. I yeah, couldn't agree more. Huge. I'm thinking <laughs> of so many people that, like you said, they're like, oh yeah, this is working for me because they like what they see in the mirror or they're happy with their muscle composition, but not sleeping and getting sick all the time. I'm like, how's that working for you? Yeah, yeah. And then other like more nuanced things like maybe candida infections, skin fungus, things that are going on in their body they can't explain. Like I had um, one friend who would get this really weird pain in her side. And I think eventually I was like, I think you have H. pylori. And when she started taking a supplement, when she started just like, okay, I'm just going to try the supplement, that pain in her side went away. And it's like, oh man, <laughs> how, how do we nail that down? It was H. pylori, you know? So it's like, okay, you might think you're optimized, but try and dig deeper. There's a lot that you need to know about your body. And this is really a consistency game. It's not a quick fix. No supplement's going to fix it. You have to live the lifestyle and take good supplements. They definitely help. But I try not to have my my clients, I'm sure you guys are the same, not rely on supplements because otherwise it, it's no better than the model that's gotten us into a lot of trouble where, oh, you feel this, take this pill. It's like, well, we got to un, um, address the underlying issue. And, and that's really the goal, but that's a hard sell. Yeah. It's great as the icing on top if you're doing everything else right, but you can't jump into that first. Agreed. Yeah. We don't want the supplements to be like an herbal version of a medication or something, right? Where you're on exactly. 10 medications becomes 10 supplements. Yeah, it's a good point. Exactly. And I find out a lot of people can probably answer their own questions to their own problems, but we're just not tuned in to what those questions mean. Like things come up, like physiological symptoms come up and people just brush it aside. They're like, that's normal. Or that couldn't possibly be related to my gut or my digestion or my sleep or whatever. Like, oh, just toss it over there, ignore it. No, you could listen to that and maybe figure this stuff out on your own. It yeah, for the coach, but pay attention. Yeah, yeah, I, I think the coach is great, but really, I, I think all three of us think of us ourselves as facilitators of someone treating themselves, healing themselves. Like the coach can give you advice, but really, it's ultimately up to you. Uh, it's the same with personal training. Like, I'm, I can't lift for you. If you want to pay me to, to lift for you, I'll do it, but you're not going to get any benefit. <laughs> you know what I mean? So 
yeah, I, I, I think it's, it's really deep. And what I've learned through this is so much self-discovery that bleeds into every single area of my life. And some people may see exercises. Oh, it's boring. I don't want to do bicep curls. It's like, well, you think I'm just standing in the mirror doing bicep curls? Like <laughs> you, you both as dancers probably understand more than other people. And it took me years to figure this out. This deep connection between my mind and my body and the fact that I can train my body so well, but ultimately it's my mind that's, that's moving my body. Yes, the conditioning helps, but how mentally resilient am I? And what can this lead me to do? And a message I've, I've really tried to teach people is, look, uh, it's not about, hey, look at me, look at my nice body. It's like, look at what my body can do for me, like standing on top of a mountaintop or lifting a huge amount of weight that people are like, oh my gosh. It's like, yeah, cool feet. But for me, it's deeper than that. It's um, It almost borders on a spiritual connection of just realizing, okay, I am my body, but my body isn't really me. It's just trillions of cells. It's bacteria. It's all of these things coming together to create this life and express through me. And as that manifestation, I want to be able to express just my my deepest gratitude for for what I have right here, the infinite power of my mind and taking care of my meat vehicle, which is going to last me for the rest of my life if I treat it well. Yeah, there's nothing better than feeling proud and grateful for the body that you are inhabiting. Yeah, amen. Yeah, I mean, it is our vehicle, like you said, for the rest of our life. It's our, this is our only body that we're going to get. And I certainly hope I'm you know, skiing down the mountains of Colorado in my nineties, you know, I, that's a good goal. Heck yeah. That sounds good. <laughs> okay, John. Yeah. So we like to ask all of our guests, if you could give our audience one piece of advice for takeaway, something they can start doing today. Like they don't need to go out and build their home gym though. You have an amazing gym. It's really inspiring. Hopefully everyone <laughs> can start working towards that. What can they do today at the, in their own homes in quarantine to start upgrading their health? Oh, to upgrade their health? Um, or mind or just anything. Know, yeah. anything. Yeah, develop some resiliency. I, I really think that as a country, we've lost a lot of that, you know, built on really Puritan values. And we're not Puritans, but their values were hard work. And I, I really believe that we need to be self-sufficient in whatever way is possible in my own realm. That means, hey, know how to cook some eggs, like know how to cook some rice or, or whatever you need to feed yourself, but also empower the body because something like strength training we already talked about is going to lend its hand at everything. And hey, can you pick up something heavy to help your neighbor? Can you pick up someone who, who falls and you need to carry them back to the trailhead? Can you learn something every single day that's going to keep you and your family safe or help you to grow more vegetables in your garden so you're not so dependent on the supply chain. You know what I mean? I, I think sometimes we get so just caught up in the muck of daily life and commuting and working and keeping up with the Joneses that a lot of us lose ourselves. And I think this lockdown is um, has a silver lining that we need to realize like, hey, like if shit hits the fan, we need to be able to take care of ourselves. So my advice is to build resiliency. Uh, that's mental resiliency, physical resiliency, and that will never let you down. Like you don't want to have to depend on people. 
people are amazing and I always want them in my life, but I do want to be able to take care of myself because I know if I can take care of myself, I can take care of those around me, my family, my friends, animals, it doesn't matter. Self-dependence. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, that's perfect advice for this time. So you are starting your own podcast. Do you oh, want yeah. to tell our audience about it? Because you have so much to share and we want them to be able to find you. After I this. do, I do. So it'll be starting in the next couple of weeks. I have a, a really good buddy of mine. He's a colleague. His name is James Wheeler. He's also a certified strength and conditioning specialist. And our podcast is called Vital Metabolic and talks about a lot of the stuff that the biohacker babes talk about. Um, our main focus though is strength and conditioning. And we want people to know the proper way to do strength and conditioning. You just see so much misinformation, especially online, just with fitness and, and what you need to do. And I really want to help people because I think sometimes these programs and these exercises you see can do more harm than good. So our tagline is the art and science of strength. So we're going to really dissect all of this stuff when it comes to strength and conditioning with expert guests. Um, but hey, we know that strength is, isn't about physical prowess. Strength is about the power of your heart, your mind. It's about your nutrition, your sleep, and getting vitamin D and biohacks and all of this stuff. So looking forward to having girls like you on the podcast and just helping more people and, and getting ourselves out there. Awesome. So Vital Metabolic, we'll share that with our audience. It may be coming out around the same time as this episode. Maybe. Oh, perfect. That'd be great. All up together. If that doesn't happen in time, where can they find you in the meantime? Instagram, website? Yeah. So uh, Instagram is John Parker with two underscores. Uh, Facebook is John Jeffrey Parker. I got my full name in there. And my website is strengthaxis.com. Perfect. Thank you so much for hanging out with us today. This is really awesome. Thank you, guys. It was my pleasure. Yeah. I really learned a lot. Appreciate it. Me too. All right, everyone. Thank you again for tuning in and we'll see you next time. Love this episode of the Biohacker Babes podcast? Head over to Apple Podcasts to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. We truly appreciate your support. Until then, happy biohacking. Happy biohacking.